and welcome to the rugby show here on the 42.ie. Uh, we are coming at you live after a disappointing day for the Irish women's team. Uh, defeat Australia in their fifth place playoff semi-final. Uh, joining me, Gavin Casey, to dissect the tournament is still the legend, Lynn Cantwell. <laughs> Lynn, um, you made an interesting point yesterday on RTE and you actually kind of recoiled when I, when I repeated it back to you earlier uh, that Ireland were kind of robbed of their opportunity a little bit in this tournament. And I, I kind of understood, I think, where you were coming from, which was not to absolve players of blame at all, but that their surroundings, the environment in which they were operating, perhaps wasn't optimal for a tournament of this magnitude on home soil. What do you make of it now, looking back in, on that, I suppose, a, a four-game sequence of, of disappointing performances? Yeah, I think um, I think it's really disappointing, and I think fundamentally the girls are going to be most disappointed with with their performance because they they know that they could have brought more, and um, they know that they could have been more competitive, etc. And obviously they are the first ones to bear the brunt of the impact that 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 has on 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 Ireland because they felt like the ambassadors, the campaigners, to be able to try and increase participation numbers and try and get more more players involved in the game and sponsors attracted to the game etc and um, so the players definitely going to be most disappointed they will take a l they will take a lot of the blame themselves because ultimately 15 players in the pitch have to be able to dictate how a game goes i think the the, the issue being and, and they're more than aware of this and um, will be that it's the fourth performance in a row that's an underperformance and as a result um there has to be uh like a, a deep exploration as to why that did happen and that can't just fall completely on the players because to there we look at yes coaching and and that's and and you know the the coaches that are there the Tom Tierney's that are there they are a victim also to just a, a lack of, of coaching development that's been there for years and years and years you know that has been highlighted etc and hopefully that will be reviewed um, and then ultimately we, we talk about the whole structure itself and the, the preparation for this World Cup and that comes into um, question or discussion around <coughs> their their friendlies and and it's all of those things so i suppose when we say robbed of an opportunity yes there was an opportunity and therefore we looked to, to what environment and what structures were put in place for this world cup and therefore if they weren't good enough and um, then the players that are presently there have been robbed of an opportunity but that's not to say that the players don't take huge responsibility for what's happened in this world cup so far yeah i suppose if we look at I don't think we need to spend too long actually kind of looking at the performance yesterday or the result even. Um, some of the things that stuck out to me were, firstly, Sharni Williams, the Australian 12, how simple it was for her to uh, attack the 10-12 channel or the 12-13 channel and get a simple offload off an Australia through on first phase and score twice from it. I think um, Mahalia Murphy, the second one, and Sarah uh, Reardon, or I think in Australia, Sarah Reardon, as they call her, um, it just seemed so basic. You made the point to me earlier when, before we came on how in a tournament like this and, and playing sport at this level and rugby in particular at this level, like to concede off first phase like that, it just points to something that, like a kind of a disorganisation that, that really the players will have expected uh, better, better of themselves in that regard and also us watching on. We've seen this Ireland team... Not succumb to the, these types <coughs> of scores before, and it does point to a kind of some sort of a disconnect between I don't know is it coaching or or what they're being instructed to do, 
and what they're trying to do themselves maybe yeah that's it I suppose when you see a failure in a defensive structure you look fundamentally to the structure itself um, and then in the going beyond that you look to the confidence of the players and you know the keys of the cohesiveness of the players so from a structural point of view obviously you'll have your defensive system your defensive system is structured so that you are able to combat anything that comes into your channel or any um, any threat or any unpredictability that happens in the attack so that you can snuffle that out you know so that's your job obviously the reason why it happens less commonly or, or rarely in first phase attack is because you know exactly who's on your inside, you know exactly who's on your outside, you know what they sound like, you know what what it what it feels like to, for them to be close, you know when to push, you know when to when to, when to bide in, etc. And um, so for that to happen in first phase, yes, it's credit to Sharni Williams. She's had a brilliant tournament. She's a very very strong player. However, she's against an Aopi, which, which which is her her strength is to be able to just you know put up, put in big hits similar mm. to to Jen Murphy. So. I suppose the fact that um, she was making ground and they made ground continuously in that channel, and you know, well done them for keep for keeping going down that channel because they're obviously making they're getting some change from it. Um, is potentially an unfamiliarity with defensive systems, which which I doubt because you know that should be tried and tested. And um, but it is something that we've seen quite a lot of in the lack of line speed and you know missed tackles and stuff like that. So there's definitely some kind of just technical issues in there, um, as well as you know fourth game in. As we say, we know that this is Senna's bread and butter. Um, confidence must be just chipping, chipping away, and confidence in the team because the one thing. When you are unconfident, you want is for their players inside and out for you, outside of you to talk and say, I am here, I have your mm -hmm. player, just so that you've got some form of sense of um, support. Yeah. If you're not confident in making up your first ta tackles, if you have two people, you're going to make that tackle. Mm -hmm. um, so there's probably a little bit of just technical stuff um, and then just that lack of cohesiveness and then just a bit of confidence. So kind of a couple of things going on there. Yeah, and uh, like you mentioned, how, how you want players inside and outside of you to... Um I suppose to to bolster your own confidence, and I think as well, when it's a player like Sene who's hugely influential, and I think a player in that team that a lot of her fellow players would look up to, like Sharni Williams' own try, she's kind of half sells a dummy. Sene, I'm not even sure if Sene bought it or was kind of caught off guard. She doesn't really commit to a tackle. She ends up just following Sharni around to the corner, Australia over. And I think when you're looking at it, that happening to influential players, mm. particularly for some of the younger players in the squad, they're thinking, right, this. This isn't our tournament. You know what I mean? Like that. If if our if our leaders aren't, aren't necessarily standing up, be it through their own fault. Like uh, that's the thing. I don't think it's lack of effort. I think that mm. as you were mentioning, their belief was just completely uh, dissipated at that point. I wonder, looking at uh, just again the simplicity of how Australia break, broke down Ireland's defence, actually in both games, that I, I like I was struck by how uh, Hugh Cahill was from RT was doing the world rugby commentary for mm -hmm. the game yesterday and he and his Australian co-commentator literally predicted the move that Australia were going to do uh, that they scored off uh, with Sarah Reardon's try and I just wonder after that happening and it being I think patently obvious to a lot of onlookers for it to happen a second time like the people on the sideline uh, how they're not communicating this and this is with a halftime break bear in mind how they're not communicating it to the players or how even the leaders within that team aren't pointing and saying we need to adapt here, we need to change something because it's just going to keep happening. Mm. And it did, it happened for the entire game that they just blew us over. Yeah, well that's it. I suppose when, when, when players are playing within themselves, which you know we've seen, we've seen a bit of in this tournament, um, it's, it's just, it's still necessary to pull yourself out of yourself. Like that's the skill set of it. Like 
historically athletes always go within themselves. That's just a, a challenge of, of elite sport, of every sport. You know, we've all felt that even, you know, at, at underage, you know, football on a Sunday morning, you know, something goes wrong. 50% of the time, 50% of the players on any pitch are going through a hard time because something's happened bad, you know. Sure. So it's about how do you personally bring yourself out of it if you can't do it that's something you have to work on um, but how do your players bring you out of that etc so I think we just saw probably just a, a huge snowball effect um, of that and and we just saw lots of just inconsistencies and as I said before then we then you're just firefighting you're just trying to correct something that went wrong from the from the play before correcting something went wrong correcting so instead of you know being in control of the situation and actually dominating your defense which will obviously snuffle their attack yeah so moving away from the players then slightly and, and touching upon what we said at the start where this might have been partially at least a kind of a systemic problem um you mentioned preparation and and this has kind of been i think uh, a fairly prevalent theme throughout throughout ireland's struggles in this tournament that preparation was far from optimal uh, you and fiona steed mentioned like the warm-up games yesterday for example what do you think, maybe it's too soon and there will be obviously performance reviews, but where do you think they went wrong at preparation? Or even in terms of the warm-up games, what would you have done differently if you were the one trying to make these fixtures to get a, a squad ready for this tournament? Yeah, like it is hard to know and, and you are def dead right. So the players are going to have to own uh, and can only answer themselves what went on and the coaches can only answer themselves what went on and anybody involved, the management structure, etc. Et and what went on and, and, and genuinely the answers will be there. You know, we can technically only speculate and, and it's probably not helpful. I suppose what we base our speculations on is, is yes, previous experience, which yes, is hugely important because, you know, I've been to five World Cups, four, four 15s and, and, and one seventh World Cup. So you know, yes, you have knowledge there from what it's actually very, very sensitively like mm. in there. So yes, there's knowledge there, but at the same time, this group of players and this management can only say for themselves because they are unique and you know, and they're, they're the next step. Um, I, I, I think all it is clear is that the projected expectations of where they wanted to be and then the plans that they put in place in order to get there were malaligned. I think that's all it is. Um, so you'd always hope for a review to happen. You hope for a review to happen when a team have done very well as well as when a team have done poorly and you hope for a review to happen in order to just gain some insights in order to grow mm. as opposed to let's look back on what things we didn't spot and what mistakes we made so that we can reprimand people. You know, yes, that is usually what happens which is not necessarily cool whereas like a good healthy review process is trying to look at all of the key components and seeing what were the good things what are the bad things and what can we tweak and change so that it doesn't happen again and then we can grow and that's why pulling on previous experience as well as this stuff is hopefully what will enable it to grow for the next four, four years yeah so there's almost a temptation there when you're um, when there's a post-mortem into these uh, underperformances that you find a couple of key areas, here's where we were short, here's where we were short, and you move on, but you're yeah. not necessarily fixing anything for the future. It's almost like you're offering yourself an excuse, and not necessarily the players or the coaches, but almost the top brass that are looking yeah. at this and reviewing performance. Well, so that's it. Like, you know, we, we, they, they, they speak about what does success look like, and success can only look very specific to what the group of players and the coaches and the management that you have. Mm -hmm. And just what success looks like for Canada, what success looks like for New Zealand, for England, will look very different, and therefore it has to be specific to your structure. So if you, if you take into consideration all that you have and say, well, what does success look like? And this is it. 
like a thorough strategy that's being created. You know, this is a huge big brainstorming session and it takes a lot of expertise and intelligence to be able to kind of create that. It's like, well, what does success look like for us? okay, this is what it looks like. How do we get there? What resources do we actually have? What is realistic? Um, and then now let's plan it. You know, and even even within that, there's probably going to be mistakes and there's going to be learnings that you'll take into the next one. But at least that's specific to what you, where you're going to and what you have. And then make sure all the players are aligned to that. Because mm -hmm. I think what we saw is that's kind of at a strategic level, but um, what we were seeing continuously from Ireland is a lack of yes cohesion but a lack of people on the same page yeah. and which is just you, you know that, that that that's definitely not what you want to see in a tournament but you look at the Australia's who only had six weeks prep you see that some of the Canadians as well they didn't have an awful lot of prep but what you did see is them all on the same page so it is very very possible to be on the same page whereas Ireland weren't so that's like a cohesive team thing of 15 as well as just that bigger picture stuff too Big time yeah keep the comments flying in guys uh, a couple here we've got one from Elizabeth uh, Hackett who says uh, do not be disheartened ladies you gave your very best and it was thrilling watching you you did us proud uh, again I think you know like Effort wasn't the issue. We know, we know that for sure. Um, they will be disappointed themselves. Obviously, there's a question here from Jess Keating uh, for you, Lynn. Do you think that the lack of pl uh, the lack of player pool for Ireland's management to choose from comes from the standard of underage interprovincial levels uh, and the lack of a proper structure or competition? Yeah, to Jess, absolutely, and and a couple of those things, and um, most certainly they're highlighted. You know, the union are aware of them too. It's just about trying to build the right type of momentum, right kind of structures and right type of resources to be able to kind of plug those holes. But fundamentally, what we do know is that players are coming into and have always come into the national structure um, lacking mm. um, basic skills because at a club level, we don't have the right and caliber of coaching and I and I've said this before is this you know we are a volunteer nation we know the GA we know that we have lots and lots of volunteers coaches which is absolutely fabulous this is not taken from them whatsoever but it's having the consistent caliber of coaches to be able to teach technical skills at a basic level for the girls then to be able to play competitive rugby with these skills and develop them then they take the step up to international level. So when they get to international level, that's just you know money in the bank, and then they can work on the progressive stuff. But what historically happens is the girls come into the international camp and they're just still lacking their basic skills. And some of them are catch pass, some of them is you know, scrummaging, some of them is tackling ability, etc. So yes, we look to club level, and that's a, an easy fix. We look to interventional, should, which should be a step up, which is often not. Mm, um, okay. Again, same problems. That's something about coaching, something about just you know. Um, technical ability and then we go even further where is where we want to go and that's just um, school level and we, we definitely know that we have more we have more schools with rugby etc but we just don't have uh, um, a collaborative competition that enables girls and guys to be playing well girls more so to be playing um, at underage level that then they can step into their club and then they can step into interprovincial and then they step into international so there's a, a couple of layers there are a couple, yeah. Uh, there's a question from John Mann, and it actually kind of takes us on to uh, what we were going to finish on, which is sort of the legacy of the tournament from maybe Ireland's perspective and then uh, in general. But John asks, is this a step back for women's rugby in Ireland? I suppose more specific to the team's performance than the tournament as a whole. Uh, like, do, do you view it now as uh, like a setback or is it just something that 
we need to draw a line under and move on from. Yeah, I think I think it's a just huge big learning opportunity. That's all, you know. I think, you know, we scrutinise the present players um, because yes, we want and expect more from them as such. But uh, I suppose the reality is is that the Irish women's rugby team have only been in the public's um, eye line for three or four years, and that's when we won the Grand Slam and we beat New Zealand, etc. But, you know, we were making some terrible, terrible, terrible mistakes for years and years beforehand. We just weren't in the public eye, you know. And yes, we weren't at this stage in world rankings, to be fair. We came from fourth and now we're a little bit less. So, yes, that's a wobble. But commonly, um, it's it's a wobble that triggers an alert and triggers change. And that's what we definitely do want to see because there's an awful lot more in this squad, in this the potential of this whole setup, and um, yes, it needs to be helped and supported by the union and and more kind of information to be able to fuel it, um, and then. But ultimately, it's just getting more players into the game so we have more depth and all of these things we've spoken about already. Yeah, but I suppose that's the thing as well about having this tournament on tournament on home soil, right? You could you look at the results. Um, ultimately, they've been disappointing. The players will be disgusted with themselves, and there will be some fallout. But one thing you kind of can't get away from, and I, it struck me yesterday more so than any other game, was the fans, just a number of young fans in particular. I mean, my 12-year-old my sister growing up wouldn't necessarily have had a kind of a hero rugby team to worship, you know, like she'd maybe watch the men's the odd time. But there was something, there was something special about having this in Ireland, you know, and, and the reception that they got yesterday after what was actually... Uh, almost an embarrassing performance to be totally honest and one that again will disgust them but they were still treated like heroes you know and mm. you can't help but, but imagine regardless of their performance and the result the fact that they just had it here and offered these young people an opportunity to come mm. to these games at a big tournament that, that should have uh, an exponential benefit on on the sport over here yeah absolutely oh look these girls are heroes like you know they're huge ambassadors for the sport and you know they sacrifice they, they sacrifice so much of, of their lives to be able to perform on this stage and they have given so much and you know yes it's a pity um that the last four games didn't go their way as such but take nothing from it you know it's it, they've done a, a really good job of it and it's it's going to skyrocket the game forward but like like anything we just need to keep everybody accountable to the standards that we want to go because um that's there that's we know that there's more in them too as well as them being brilliant ambassadors as well yeah big time before we go then uh, lena word on the tournament as a whole uh, I mean, the standard of rugby, actually, some of the games has been remarkable and some of the scores as well. We probably haven't necessarily been treated to much of it in Ireland's games, just they've been error strewn for whatever reason. And I think largely on, on both sides. But you look at England, you look at New Zealand and some of the rugby New Zealand were playing, as, as you were saying to me a, a minute ago. Um, it's been incredibly entertaining. Great to have here, obviously. And I suppose for the women's game globally, we've seen this massive sort of push towards sevens and how much that's improving. And I think this again, should be of massive benefit to 15s as well now. Oh, yeah, look, the standard of rugby has been, been sensational. You know what? Yes, the Ireland game was a little disappointing, but then straight into those two semi-finals, and oh, my God, it was meltwater and stuff, honestly. So as a rugby kind of supporter, lover, etc., you just watch it, and, and even we were sitting down, and there's just so many different, just the demographic of people that are co attended these games mm. is so different. Even two, three years ago, you've got dads bringing daughters, dad bring, dads bringing sons, which is so, so different. You've got just you know, 
guys that are just coming to watch rugby, you know, whereas before it was always just mams and dads and family members. Sure. Oh, it's, oh, it was a spectacle. And, and I think that they had, um, I think, a couple of thousand tickets to spare for last night. But even the stadium still looked full. And, you know, you've got a, such a, um, a diverse crowd as well. You've got Canadians, you've got USA, you've got Kiwis, you've got Wallabies. And you're um, seeing them walking around Dublin as well, yeah. you know what I mean? Wearing the jerseys, wearing the colours, yeah. going to games, heading out to UCD. Yeah. It's brilliant. Absolutely, it's brilliant. And then I think they've, they've got 2,000 tickets to, to sell for Saturday's games which I'm sure will be gone probably already um, and that's going to be like an 18,000 crowd cheering on New Zealand and England in the final now it's going to be a whopper yeah big time and I think they're, during the Ireland-France game I think it was something like 3.2 million people watched that game in France as well which is yeah. you know it, the game is obviously on the up we hope Ireland can kind of climb with it I'm sure they will in due course yeah. but uh, Lynn it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you over the last couple of weeks glad you enjoyed the tournament and thanks a million for joining us on the rugby show we will speak to you very soon okay. uh, we will be back as well on Friday here for close calls we'll be looking ahead to Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor uh, I'm going to enjoy that one we'll be joined by Jason Quigley uh, Eric Donovan and the UFC's Joseph Duffy as well, former conqueror of McGregor. So do tune in at four o'clock here on Facebook Live or you can catch it afterwards as well. But until then, thanks a million and take it easy.